Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you've got your Bibles, uh, Acts 14, uh, 8 through, through 18, we're going to be looking at the gospel in, in, in Lystra, and we'll get there in a moment. Listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not Atari generation old, <clears throat> uh, but, but let's just say I, I, was, I was in kindergarten when, uh, when, the OG, uh, when the OG Nintendo dropped, uh, and, and though my, my folks uh, wouldn't have me, they, they wouldn't let, let me have my own gaming system until I was, I was quite a bit older, uh, I was known for rocking some, some Duck Hunt uh, and some original Mario Brothers at my, uh, my, my next door neighbor's uh, casa. Uh, Michael Fontenot was my best friend. Uh, and, and so I would roll over to Michael's house. And, 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 and if you had the skills, right? If you had the skills and you got to Mario level 3-1. See, some of you already know where, the, where this is going. And you knew at the end of the level as you got to the little pyramid staircase. And you saw the turtle coming down. Your eyes got big. Because you knew if, if you had the skill, man, you could jump on that bad boy. You could just hit it over and over and over again. And it would just keep giving you life. Right? You ever done the, 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 the trick on that? Nobody? Nobody's played original Mario. Two people have played original Mario. Also, probably as old as me. Uh, so there you go. Um, and it keep giving you life. So, so much so at one point, uh, it, it would quit assigning like a numeric value to your lives, the number of lives you had, and it would go to letters, and then, and then it would just go to these weird symbols. So if your buddy asked, bro, like how, how many lives do you have? You would look at the screen and say, I, I really, I don't know. It's like an Egyptian hieroglyphic. So a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of life. <laughs> Uh, church fam, you're, you're, you're getting a, a sneak peek into the strange world of, of Jonathan Brooks' mind, uh, but I can't think of a better way to illustrate the gospel at this point of Acts. <laughs> if you've gotten halfway through Acts and, and, and you're, you're tired of hitting the gospel, then you're missing it because it, it doesn't matter how many times you hit it, it still gives you life. Amen? Doesn't matter how many times you hit the gospel, it still gives life and life and more life. And apparently, a lot of a lot of American churches uh, they they're they're getting bored with the finished work of Jesus. But I'm not. I'm sure not. I hope you're not either, church. Listen, we're, we're going to keep mining the depths of Jesus crucified for our sin and raised until we see Him face to face. Amen? And even then, there's going to be more life. There's going to be more life. There's going to be life abundant in His kingdom. And so here's, here's the question. Christian, has the enemy 
pulled your, your gaze away from Christ? Has He pulled your, your, your eyes away from Jesus? Has he, is, is he tempted you to believe that there's satisfaction elsewhere? Or, or maybe, or maybe that, that somehow the work of Jesus is insufficient or, or incomplete. In the, so, so, so this morning, we're, we're going we're gonna to look at the gospel in Lystra, and we're going to look at three gospel truths as the gospel touched down in Lystra. I want to give you, I want to give you a little bit of background. Lystra uh, was, was 20 miles south of Iconium, where we've already been in, in, in We'll see Timothy later. We'll meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16. But Timothy was actually from Lystra. And so it's uh, more than likely it was here that Timothy was first saved and began to be discipled. Timothy's mother, though, though his mom was Jewish, his, his dad was Greek, his dad was Gentile. And so he would have been one of the few Jews uh, that was hanging in Lystra. We're going to see in, our, in the text this morning that there, there was no Jewish synagogue. There was no Jewish synagogue in Lystra, so there was apparently very few Jews lived uh, in this remote region of Galatia. Uh, Kent, Kent Hughes says it like this, uh, Lystra was a remote outpost. It was a frontier outpost. It, it had only been a Roman colony for about 50 years or so. He said you can imagine it had sort of like this Old West like flavor, this Old West ethos. And, and the people, Kent Hughes says, were mostly uneducated uh, and, and they, were, they were half, he said they were half barbarian. And so though, though we won't press into it this morning, I, I want to encourage you, church fam, to go back and notice, notice the difference between how Paul shares with predominantly Jewish audiences. With, compare that with how he, he shares the word and the gospel with those with no acquaintance. No acquaintance with the Old Testament scriptures. And so Luke here preserves what, what, what I think is, is sort of a sample of, of what Paul and Barnabas more than likely regularly preached to an all Gentile audience. And so the first thing this morning is, is, is we jump in and look at particularly at verses 8 through 10, uh, but, but we'll also touch on 16 just briefly, is that the gospel addresses the physical to get to the spiritual. The gospel addresses the physical to get to the spiritual. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, get to the spiritual. Look at your other neighbor and say, get to the spiritual. Verses 8 through 10 says this, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looking intently at him, looked intently, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. And we'll, we'll stop right there. The gospel addresses the physical to get to the spiritual. This story, it connects us not only with, with a similar story in Acts chapter 3 where Peter healed a lame man. It connects us all the way back to the very activity of Jesus in Luke 5, 17 through 26. Where if y'all remember the story, uh, there was a paralytic whose, whose buddies, they, they dropped him down through the roof. They cut a hole in the roof, like I, I don't even know what that would look like. And they dropped him down so that he could be healed by Jesus. 
And so this story connects us back and, and, and Luke employs this threefold repetition to drive home and, and, and to emphasize how dire this man's situation was, church fam. One, he said he could not use his feet. Like, oh, okay, Luke. Two, he was, he was crippled from his mother's womb. Oh, all right, Luke. Three, he had never walked. Okay, Luke, like we, we've got, we've got, we got it. But church fam, think about Think about this man's plight and his position. His muscles had never done what they were designed to do. His entire existence, he would have been completely dependent upon others just to get him from point A to point B, something that most of us take for granted. Absolutely take for granted. But it's interesting, and I want you to notice something. In verses 8 and 10, the emphasis of the text is on this man never having been able to physically walk. See, when you're reading the Word, you've got you to read, the, understand the context, but you've got to you, you look for those repeated words. And, and you notice 8 and 10, there's this emphasis on the man never having been able to physically walk. We see that word walk two times. But later in verse 16, we'll see that the emphasis actually shifts to all people never having been able to, check this out, walk in the ways of God. Did y'all catch that? Verse 16. And it's subtle, but the repetition is drawing attention to both the, the fact that we're, there's, there's a fit, we're physically crippled, but, but then there is spiritual, being spiritually crippled. And it, and it really harkens to Ephesians 2, and which, hey, we're not, we're not just spiritually crippled. Ephesians 2 says we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead in our sin. And so as you get to verses 9 and 10, the text tells us that this man, he listened to Paul. He listened to Paul. It's this Greek word, uh, akuo, and it means to hear with intention. And so he listened you say, well, what was he listening to? What was Paul speaking? Well, the text has already explicitly told us in verse 7. Paul, Paul was speaking the gospel, right? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't talking about the latest Lyconian Lions rugby match, right? <laughs> he, he wasn't chopping it up about like the, the, the latest polit- juicy political gossip in Lystra. Paul was sharing Jesus, Amen. He was sharing Jesus and Paul fixes his eyes on the man and he realizes that he had he had faith to be made well. And, and that, that little phrase to made well, that those words to be made well in the Greek, it's this word sozo. The significance of that is the word sozo means to be saved or to be delivered. And as you're reading through the New Testament, it, it's it's the context that ter- determines whether we're talking about physical deliverance or spiritual deliverance in this case listen I I don't know if the paralytic I don't know if he understood the full scope of the work of Jesus I don't I don't know if he could break down justification at that point I don't know if he understood judgment or the kingdom but I think that he believed that the power of Jesus could heal his legs amen He believed the power of Jesus could heal his legs. And Thomas Constable says this, his faith was a factor in his healing. 
So while the man may have had faith, Constable says, to be saved spiritually, the context suggests that he probably believed that he could be saved physically. And so Paul sees, Paul sees, church family, the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work drawing this man. And that's important because, listen, Christian, church, any time you, you see you, where there is receptivity to the gospel, any time you see there's a hunger, any time you see there's a, a, a humility, know that God is going before you. Amen? God's already at work there. The Spirit is already at work and He's drawing people. And then we see in verse 10, very similar to Peter, very similar to Jesus. Paul, Paul looks at, at this dude and says, stand up, stand up. And the text tells us this guy, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't just slowly get to his feet and walk. He, he leaps. The Greek word there is he, he leaps, he jumps up. No, like no muscle atrophy. He just jumps up. The other night at, at, at MCG, we, we were hearing a, a little bit more about our, our new friend uh, Miranda's story. And she mentioned that after a, a long time having been in, in, in the hospital, when she was finally released, her, her, her body was weak, her muscles were, were atrophied. And she talked about how for, for a while she had to be car- literally carried around just to get to point a, from point A to point B until her, her legs gained strength. Church family, not so, not so with this man. The, the miracle was immediate. And knowing, knowing the pattern of the Gospels, knowing the pattern that we've already seen in Acts with Peter and John and the pattern of Paul, we, we've got to understand there's an important Gospel principle at work that I, that I think that's being all but forgotten in today's American Christian culture. And it's really our application this morning. And that's this. The, listen, the gospel, it must address the physical. Amen? It's got to address the physical, but it addresses the physical to get to the spiritual. Amen? We'll see this more in verse 11, but the, the, the crowd in Lystra, man, they, they completely failed to understand the significance of the miracle. Completely missed it. The purpose, we've said this before as we walk through Acts, the purpose of the miracle was to validate the message of the Messiah. Amen? The purpose of the miracle was to validate the message of the Messiah. Who had come into the world to to redeem sinful hearts and enable people, listen, hear me, to spiritually walk with God in a way that is pleasing to God. Church fam, hear my heart. Like, have we have we forgotten that a hundred out of a hundred people, a hundred out of a hundred people can can have uh, they, they can have perfect health. They can have perfect freedom. They can even have perfect equality. And that same 100 out of 100 people can spend an eternity in hell because they never placed their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. Was was it incredible that a man who was lame one minute was now doing uh, juju on that beat the next minute? 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> if you're over 40, just look that up. But, but delivered legs is a poor replacement for a delivered soul. And one day, one day, listen, Jesus will usher in His kingdom and there will be perfect spiritual and physical restoration. Amen? There will be perfect spiritual and physical restoration. But until then, the death rate is still 100%. And so, yeah, we address the physical. We absolutely address the physical while we plead, while we plead with all people to be reconciled with Jesus. Second thing this morning. As we look at verse 11 through 15, the first part of 15, we see that the gospel is the cure for self-glory. The gospel is the cure for self-glory. I want you to look at your neighbor and say self-glory. Look at your other neighbor. I'm going to mix it up on you. Look at your other neighbor and say the cure for self-glory. <laughs> there you go. The gospel is the cure for self-glory. Look at verses 11 through 15. First part of 15, it says this. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, garlands, these wreaths, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, they rushed out of the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, bringing you good news. And I'll stop. I'll stop there. The gospel is the cure for self-glory. The, the people said the, the, the gods, the gods have come down. <laughs> They've come down to us in the likeness of men. It, see, and this will make more sense. It's believed that Paul, Paul was preaching and, and, and he was ministering in, in the Greek language. He, he was communicating in Greek as he spoke. But it, as, soon, as soon as the miracle was performed, the, uh, was performed, the crowds, they wanted to elevate. Check this out. They wanted to elevate the work of the men. As soon as, as God moved and a miracle was performed, the crowds wanted to elevate the work of men. And, and really, I mean, they wanted to attribute godlike status to the pair. And in Greek mythology, Zeus was, was the chief, right? He was the chief god in the Greek pantheon. And, and Hermes was the chief speaker. He was his herald. Uh, and, and so in, 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 the, in this polytheistic world, check this out. The Greeks had a god for everything. They had a god and a goddess for everything. R.C. Sproul says it like this. Theirs was a religion of, of multiple deities. So they had, they had one to cover the ocean, Poseidon. They had one for hearth and home in, in Vesta. They had one for hunting, Diana. One for wisdom, one for love, one for war, and another for peace. They had a god and a goddess for every human occasion. 
And this is significant because around 50 years earlier, prior to Paul and Barnabas' visit to Lystra, in his work, in, in, uh, there was an author named Ovid. And Ovid had written about this legend of the gods who had visited Lystra in his work Metamorphosis. And according to the legend, Jupiter and Mercury, who were the Roman equivalent of Zeus and Hermes, they, they disguised themselves as mortals, and they, they came down to Lystra, and they, but they received a less than warm uh, welcome, right? No, no hospitality uh, for, for Zeus and Hermes. And so, uh, but there was one elderly couple. Uh, the legend said there was one elderly couple, Philemon and Bacchus, who were kind and showed hospitality to uh, Zeus and Hermes. And so uh, they, they rewarded the couple by converting, the legend said they, re, they rewarded their, the couple by converting their small home into this elaborate ornate temple complete with a gold roof. Uh, but not before they took out all the other villagers by flooding Lystra with a devastating storm. Right? <laughs> Go Lystra. <laughs> it, it's it's, it's kind of like the, the show Undercover Boss, where the CEO shows up on, on the factory floor, and like Scotty, the, you know, the, the, the hourly machinist, the, the factory worker, is kind uh, to, to the boss, and so Scotty gets rewarded, and all the other hourly laborers, they're kicking themselves because they were jerks to the boss. It's kind of like that, except in the Lyconian sense, um, the, like the boss drowns everyone. So... <laughs> So apparently, with the legend still fresh uh, on their minds, still fresh in circulation, the villagers were, they were not about that flood life, okay? They didn't, they didn't want to blow it again and, and miss the opportunity to entertain the gods. So now you have a little bit of, a, of the backdrop, but, but here's, here's where it gets humorous, church family. They're shouting out praise in their native tongue, in the Lyconian dialect. And so the, the two missionaries, they don't fully understand. They don't know what's going on. Paul and Barnabas don't speak Lyconian. And it's comical to think about because one minute, Paul and Barnabas, they're conversing with this, this, this lame man. They heal him in Jesus' name. And so they're just, they're kind of hanging out there sharing Jesus. And then all of a sudden, like a parade comes down the road right? And there's these oxen with like reeds hanging from their horns. So you almost get the, this picture like Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, like what's going on? What are, what are the animals for? Oh, they're, they're for you guys. Awesome. Like are we, 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 having, we having dinner? Like no, we're, we're actually sacrificing them to worship you. Um, not, not good. And so in 14 and 15, we see Paul and Barnabas, they, 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 the text tells us they rend their clothes, which was a response not only in the Old Testament of grieving, but also a response to blasphemy, which was the case here. And so Paul and Barnabas, they're quick to tell the people of Lystra, no, listen, no, we are of like nature as you. In the Greek, uh, the, he said, we are homeopathes, characterized by having the same emotional constitution, the same physical circumstances. 
Daryl Bach says, says this, these were not divine men, they were just servants of Jesus, amen? They're not divine men, they're just servants of the one true and living God who works through them. He was working through them and authenticating what they were claiming about Jesus. So stop, stop right there and let's, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit of application, church family. Spiritually lost minds will, will, will try to mold the work of Jesus into their preconceived spiritual categories. But listen, Jesus, Jesus will not fit into our frameworks. Amen. Jesus, Jesus doesn't conform to our frameworks. Tony Evans says this, their, their superstitious pagan worldview led them with no alternative way to interpret and to respond to this gospel or to this miracle. Uh, other, than, other than trying to fit the miracle into their previous held belief system uh, around the Greek gods. But don't, don't miss it. In all of this, the, the, the result was they, they, they sought to glorify the men in front of them. You catch that? They, church family, they, 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 they wanted to, they, they, they glorified the men in front of them. And, and so here's the application because we've got we've to talk about what that means for the church. We've got to talk about what that means from the Christian's point of view. Listen, Satan Church family, hear me. Satan is an equal opportunity tempter. He, he will derail your life with persecution, but, but don't, don't lose this. He can do it with praise too. You say that again. Satan will derail your life with persecution, but he is an equal opportunity tempter, so he can, he can do the same thing with praise. In a heartbeat. And one of the chief jobs, one of the chief jobs as a Christ follower is to recognize that the world is constantly seeking to ascribe to men the glory that is reserved for the Messiah. Always. The world's trying to ascribe to men the glory that's reserved for the Messiah. So listen, Christian, don't, don't be caught off guard by it. Don't, don't, be, don't be surprised. In fact, we, you should expect it, but you've got to do this. You've got to deflect the glory to God. You've got to deflect the glory back to God. Christian, don't ever, don't ever see yourself as somehow superior to others. Stop it. Don't see yourself as superior in any way. Rather, you recognize that you have the same nature as anyone else. And you know this, that apart from Christ, you would have no access to the divine nature. Which is what Peter talks about in 2 Peter 1, 3-5. And apart from Christ, you would have no ability to walk in a way that pleases God. And so church, the cure the cure for self-glory, that's the gospel. Notice, they, they preached the good news and they pointed the people of Lystra away from their works and back to the finished work of Jesus. Third thing this morning, 
third gospel truth that we see as we look and really I draw this from the second part of 15. 15b, we'll call it, says this. He said, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn Turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. The third point is this. The gospel exposes the vanity of our idols. The gospel exposes the vanity of our idols. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, vain idols. Look at your other neighbor and tell them, vain idols. The story, there was a story of Hideyoshi was a, a, a Japanese warlord who ruled over Japan in the late 1500s. And, and uh, at the time, Hideyoshi commissioned a, a colossal statue of Buddha for a shrine, the shrine in Kyoto. And it took, it took 50,000 men five years to build this statue of Buddha. But the story says the work had been scarcely completed when the earthquake of 1596 brought the roof of the shrine crashing down and it just wrecked the statue. Five years of building, 50,000 men, Buddha wrecked. And in a rage, Hideyoshi shot an arrow, just temper tantrum, right? shot an arrow at the fallen statue and he said, I put you here at great expense and you can't even look after your own temple. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we have to belabor the point. The second half of verse 15 is, is a call church family to repent of idolatry. And in fact, we're going to do this. This is our third point. That I'm, I'm going to close. I want to close with this. I want to close with this point. The text says, turn from these vain things to a living God. That, that, that Greek word, vain things, it's the, the, the Greek word, uh, matios, and it means useless, empty fruitless, unable to produce advantage or benefit. And, and, and I was thinking about this. You know, it's ironic that we can, we can look at the Lyconians and think like, how, how ridiculous, right? Like how ridiculous that they would worship like the, the God of thunder, like the God of grain or the God of water. Like, oh my gosh. Like how, how silly and we'll, and we'll judge them and then, and then we'll, write, we'll walk right out this door and then go live our lives for money. Right? Right out that door. And, and, or we'll live our lives to climb the ladder of success. Or, or we'll live, we'll give away our lives to make a name for ourselves. Or we'll give away our lives for fill in the blank for whatever idol we're serving. And we don't stop for one second to consider that our idols may look different, but it's the same result. There's no life there. Our idols cannot give us life that only Jesus can. Amen? This past week, I, I was reading the, there's a restoration Bible reading plan that our staff's been going through. It's on the website. 
I was reading through Ecclesiastes this week and a couple of verses stood out. Ecclesiastes 3.11 that reminds us that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. But then I read Ecclesiastes 3.14. In the CSV it says this. Solomon said, I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of Him. And so with all the talk of futility and Ecclesiastes, which is crazy, when you think about the author, Solomon, who wrote it, who had everything in this life, Ecclesiastes 3.14 is giving us a, a glimpse of the goal of life. The goal of life is to glorify God. Amen? The goal of life is to bring glory to God, to be satisfied with God alone, with Christ alone. And so, so here's the challenge. Follow all of your idols. Follow them through to their conclusion. Just follow them through to conclusion. Like you can idolize that relationship. You, you can idolize that wealth. You can idolize that position, the achievements, the freedom, the comfort, the leisure. And, and like you can get all of it. You, you can. You can get all of it. But those idols will not be with you when you stand before God and give an account of what you did with Jesus. They will not be with you. And your idols will not cleanse you from your sins. Only Jesus can do that. And your idols, they, they, they will not satisfy that eternal longing in your heart. Only Jesus can do that. And finally, those, those idols will not bring you back to life. Only Jesus, only Jesus can do that. Y'all pray with me this morning.